everybody's looking for the key to success to help them grow, to become more successful. You're not going to find it in a sales book. You're not going to find it in a marketing book, a book on competitive advantage, a book on strategy, a book on innovation. No, it's going to be an understanding how to build mental toughness, resiliency. That's what you need. That it's a set up, not a setback. Because I refuse to allow a negative circumstance to dictate my life. You think it's actually going to work out that way. (laughs) Here's the thing that you don't understand. Is that it's never going to beat me down. It's never going to defeat me. I'm never going to allow this to beat me. Because life doesn't happen to me. It happens for me. There are demons all around us. Demons in the form of fear. Anxiety, guilt, depression, sadness, bullying, learned helplessness, negativity. And if we allow these demons to control us, we will only continue to lose the battle on mental health. It's time for us to cut the crap from our lives and go on offense against these demons by building mental toughness and resiliency. That's why you're here. My name is Ryan Caligiuri, and welcome to the Cut the Crap Show. What is going on, everyone? <laughs> That's funny. I've had to record this like three times already just because I'm laughing too much. It's ridiculous. Anyways, Ryan Caligiuri, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Cut the Crap Show, where every single week, you know what I'm doing. I'm reading a book, condensing that book down to its core golden nuggets. Sometimes I'm bringing the author on to condense the golden nuggets. Other times I'm just doing it myself. But every single week I'm here with you trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark change in your life. But every single week, I'm just trying to help you build resilience. That's what I'm trying to do. It's been a crazy week, busy week, but a good week. And I know a lot of people say busy, busy, but um, it's been busier than most. And I, I, I love that. I love being busy. I love being productive. I love the feelings of making progress on a number of tasks. We want to talk about building resilience. Uh, progress is a big piece. Progress in the gym. Progress with certain client engagements. Progress with new business ideas. When you start to surround yourself with progress, all of a sudden you start to feel happier. You start to feel a sense of accomplishment, of pride in yourself. And that's always what I'm trying to get after. I'm always looking for progress. So I hope that you're doing the exact same this week. All right. So this week we have an interesting book, a book that I'm sure you may have read when you were younger in school. It was a book that I kind of read, you know, quote unquote read. I skimmed through it, didn't really truly understand it, didn't appreciate the story. It was just a piece of homework that I had to do. And now that I reread this book, I have such a different appreciation for it. You know, I just find it so fascinating when I think about Viktor Frankl and that book, when we reviewed that one a number of um, episodes ago. And then now we're talking about Anne Frank and both of them concentration camp related, both of them World War II. And I'm fascinated by this because of how easy our lives are today as compared to some of the things that Viktor Frankl, that Anne Frank went through. I know that might not necessarily sit well with some of you because you might say, listen, Ryan, you have no idea what I've been through in my life. My life has been hard. Listen, I know. My life has been hard too. I'm sure your life has been hard. In comparison to them, no. It's not hard. This is the power of perspective. Perspective has the power to completely change your mind around and take power away from negative emotions, negative feelings like anger, sadness, anxiety. 
Because when you put your life in comparison to that of Anne Frank's or that of Viktor Frankl's and the circumstances they grew up in, if you're able to have the self-awareness, the strength, the habit to pull yourself out of your negative emotions for a second and, and put it in relation to what they went through, all of a sudden you'll start to feel a sense of gratitude. All because you have a different perspective. Because today what happens? You wake up in the morning, you go to Starbucks, they get your drink wrong. Oh my God, I said extra hot and this is not extra hot. It's gonna be cold by the time I get to work. Unbelievable, I'm so pissed off. You know what? I'm gonna write a letter. I'm gonna go back in there afterwards and talk to them. Like, come on, really? Or you're surfing on Wi-Fi and all of a sudden your Wi-Fi is going a little bit slower than normal and ah, it's laggy. I can't believe it's so frustrating. Your computer gets a virus and now what am I going to do? Oh my God, listen. Perspective is a powerful tool to help you stay resilient in the face of disruption. And we always have to look for things to give us perspective. And that's what I'm trying to do with this show. That's what I tried to do with A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. That's what I'm doing today with The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. I'm trying to give you some perspective to help give you some depth in life, give you some stories to fall back on when times are tough and to make you realize, listen, times are tough right now, but in relation to other stories, my life's pretty good. So it's going to be a longer episode. There's a lot of reading from my part, so it's really crappy that I got maybe some allergies or something. Spring's coming underway, so I'm a little bit nasally, so hopefully I can get through this Without completely choking on my words here, but uh, let's get into this one because this is an important one, and I hope you enjoy this. This, again, is The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. Let's crack into it. Golden Nugget number one, June 14th, 1942 to September 27th, 1942. June 14th, 1942 is Anne's 13th birthday. Among other various presents, she receives a diary. And this diary becomes her confidant. It takes the place of having a close friend. And Yes, Anne had close friends, but none of them she felt super comfortable enough with to confide in, share her deepest, darkest thoughts with. So instead, she chooses to address all her entries to Kitty, the friend she always wanted, but the one she never had. Her family immigrated to Holland from Germany in 1933, so her father could work and also be away from the immediate danger of the Nazis. Her uncles, they fled to America, and her grandmother came to live with Anne's family in Holland. But even in Holland, the anti-Jewish decrees were very, very strong. All Jews, they had to wear a yellow star and follow rules as to where they could shop, where they could go to school, where they were even allowed to be outside, certain types of entertainment they could participate in, and even who they could visit. Basically, every aspect of their lives were controlled. If you want to talk about building resilience, losing control is one of the first things that happens to people who lose their ability to be resilient. Control is so important, and they didn't have a lot of control. Even with all that going on, Anne still felt that her life was able to go on to some degree. She was able to be normal still in the face of those circumstances. She still had her family around her. She had her mother. She had her father. She had her older sister, Margot. She was also able to be with her friends. She was able to act like a normal teenager. Anne and her friends, they went to each other's houses. They talked about boys and they went for ice cream together. They they just did things that girls would do. The family had been giving household items to friends to hold them until the war was over. 
She knew that someday the family might have to go into hiding, but she felt it would not have to be for quite some time. Unfortunately, that day came sooner than she had anticipated. Because on Sunday, July 5th, 1944, the SS came to the Frank House with a call-up notice. Now, the SS, by the way, was known as the Schutzstaffel, otherwise known as the Protection Squadron or the Protection Echelon under Adolf Hitler, and they became one of the most feared organizations throughout the war. In any case, at first, Margot and Anne, they thought that the order that came to the house meant that somebody would be taken to a concentration camp, and they thought that person was their father. But they soon realized the order that the SS came for was for Margot not her father. So this caused a lot of stress and a lot of strong emotions in the family. The family had been making plans along with the Van Dan family to go into hiding. These plans were moved up so that Margot could go into hiding much quicker. Miep, who was in business with Mr. Frank and her husband, Hank, helped the family by taking some of their belongings to the hiding place. The difficulty of this move increased significantly by the presence of Mr. Gusmit, who rented the upstairs rooms in the Frank house. He, of course, could not know of the family's plans, and so they had to act as if all were normal in his presence. Finally, on Monday, July 6th, 1944, first Margot and then the rest of the family made their way to the hiding place, which was in the building that Mr. Frank had his office. The family, wearing all the clothes they could smuggle out of the house, finally arrived at the office building. It was not ready for them because the original date of their move was July 16th, So the upper rooms and attics of the building were all stacked with boxes and not very clean. The family would eventually be sharing the rooms with the Van Dan family, so it would be a pretty tight fit. There were two upper floors in the building, which housed both families. Only five people knew of the hiding place. There were Mr. Crawler, Mr. Kufis, Miep, her husband, and Eli Vossen. These people all worked for Mr. Frank. They made it possible for them to receive the food and other items necessary for living. After several days of cleaning, the rooms were deemed fit for the family. Mrs. Frank and Margot had a difficult time adjusting to the new circumstance. Anne and her father were too busy unpacking and putting the rooms in order to think about it. Anne's father had brought some of Anne's collection of movie star pictures and her postcards, so she used them to decorate the walls and make the rooms seem a little bit more cheerier than they were. Of course, they had to be quiet, especially during the hours in which the other workers in the building were there. They also had to cover all the windows so no one can see inside the rooms, but the family was adjusting to the new surroundings, and it was really, really hard. Obviously, it was hard. Then the Van Dan family joined them earlier than anticipated as well. It was either arrive early or not be able to escape at all. The family consisted of Mr. and Mrs. Van Dan, and their son Peter, who was 15 years old and kind of lazy. Mr. Van Dan helped the Franks by leaving their border with the impression that they had escaped to Switzerland. Now, Mr. Goodsmith, who was told not to tell anyone of the Franks' whereabouts, of course, told everyone. Mr. Van Dan was easy to get along with, but his wife and son were another story altogether. Mrs. Van Dan felt the families should not pool their resources, So she took to hiding her own things. The two ladies, Mrs. Frank and Mrs. Van Dan, they did not get along at all. The Van Dans also fought, which embarrassed everyone else in the household. Mr. Van Dan always needed to be right and would criticize any small infraction that Anne made. 
this diary essentially gives you, gives me, gives the reader a little glimpse into how a 13-year-old girl tried to carve out a normal life during some of the most abnormal times with such harsh circumstances. And Anne allowed us to see how the restrictions placed on her and those around her influenced everything in their lives, such as the way different people reacted, how different people coped with the situation. Some people, for example, they were acting with such kindness and courage, such as Miep and her husband. While on the other hand, others coped by being mean and selfish, such as Mrs. Van Dan. So she gives us a little glimpse into what life was like and how people reacted at the very beginning of some of these most difficult times. Golden Nugget number two. September 28th, 1942 to December 22nd, 1942. Anne at this point in her life is tired of being the person that's constantly singled out for reprimands by the adults in what she calls the secret annex. That's the hiding place they're all in. She feels constantly harassed by almost everyone in the attic, her mother, her sister, and most of all, Mrs. Van Dan. Mrs. Van Dan has an opinion on absolutely everything that is said or done by those living in the secret annex. She feels that it's her responsibility to point out any deficiencies as she so sees it. So she constantly makes her opinion known to the group. This doesn't sit well with Anne or anybody else who lives there. But what choice do they have? Anne talks about how each member of the group has adapted to the bathroom situation in the attic. Since there's no bathtub available to them, they each take a sponge bath in the place of their choosing. Peter does his in the kitchen, which has a glass door, so whenever he has to take a bath, he tells everyone to stay away from the kitchen door while he's bathing. The girls, they use the front office because it has a curtain so they can draw it up for privacy. Mrs. Van Dan, she doesn't bathe at all right now because she's waiting to discover the best place to take her baths. The days become very long and very boring for the families as they try to make as little noise as possible throughout the day. It's only in the evenings, after all the workers in the building have gone home, that they can actually have the opportunity to make noise and maybe move around a little bit. But they still have to speak in whispers. And only on Sundays and holidays, they can truly have a day in which full movement is allowed, because the workers don't come in the building all day. Anne also relates how they try to keep their spirits up by celebrating things like birthdays and holidays. They're not able to celebrate as they did before, obviously, but they do find ways to fashion little gifts and make special meals to kind of bring some life to the situation. Anne and Peter also do their best to try to keep things light in the house by dressing up in costumes and making people laugh. It was something small that they could do to just bring a little bit of joy to people. And she thinks it worked. Anne also confides in Kitty, Kitty again is her diary, how Eli, who used to work for Mr. Frank has signed up for a correspondence course in the secretarial school. The real students are Anne, Margot, and Peter, who will learn shorthand. One of the reasons for this course is just to learn how to write in code. The group, through Miep and Eli, learn of the fate of many of their friends and relatives. These people, they're being round up and sent to concentration camps. They're treated as if they're animals, with no thought, no consideration being given to people who are older, younger, or sick. The men and women are forced to share the same quarters, resulting in many of the women becoming pregnant. They also learn that if a person is involved in sabotage and is not found, then that a Gestapo will round up persons of importance in the community 
And not only that, they'll hold them until the saboteur is found. And if he or she is not found, they will kill five of the hostages every day. The names of these people are put in the paper as deaths caused by fatal accidents. The family has a close call on October 20th, 1942. They are aware that the fire extinguishers were going to be filled at some point, but they weren't sure what date that was going to happen. So they were terrified when they suddenly heard a sound right outside the door to their rooms when they'd been moving around as normal. They had been eating with Eli, their guest, when this occurred. In response, the whole group went silent. Then Anne and her father went to the door slowly to listen. They heard someone trying to gain entrance to the rooms, which was extremely frightening, but they were relieved to find out that it was just Mr. Kufus. He helped to hide them in the attic and was only trying to get in to take Eli home. The latch to the open door had become stuck, causing the commotion the families heard outside the door, which increased all their anxieties. In November, the group decides to take in an eighth person. He's a dentist, and his name was Albert Dussel. Miep knows him, and the families feel that he will actually fit in quite nicely in their group. At first, he seems very nice and tries hard to get along with everyone. He's astonished when he comes to the secret annex and he sees the living arrangement in the attic. He had no idea it was so large. Margot is moved to a camp cot and Mr. Dussel is assigned to share Anne's room with her. Mrs. Van Dan presents him with a list of rules for living in the secret annex. At this point, Anne finds out that the Gestapo is going house to house, rounding up Jews to take to the concentration camps. She can see the people in the evening walking in lines while the guards are extremely abusive to them, kicking them, pushing them to the ground, pulling them. She feels so guilty that she is warm and safe in her hiding place while she watches her friends being taken away. Mr. Dussel is not as kind as Anne first thought. He spends a lot of his time preaching to her about the error of her ways and how she must change. She actually often pretended not to hear him, or she just went along with whatever he said just so he'd stop talking. At the end of this entry, the family celebrates Chanukah and St. Nicholas Day the best they can by lighting the candles for Chanukah only for a short time and exchanging a few gifts for their first St. Nicholas Day. Mr. Van Dan takes the meat they have stored up and makes sausages. This provides food and also entertains them and, again, gives them something small to smile for. At this point in the diary, it gave us a really good look inside the secret annex and helped us understand a little bit more of the intricacies, some of the relationships they were dealing with, and some of the things they did to keep themselves smiling, keep their spirits up. And I love this because it was some of Anne's situation, some of Anne's actions, sorry, that really helped to brighten people's days. Dressing up, finding something to smile about, right? looking at pictures of the people on the wall and closing her eyes and imagining being in different places. Despite the difficulties they were going through, they had to do their best to keep themselves in high spirits. And if you think about it, sitting in there day after day, month after month, how difficult, how difficult is that? Incredibly. You have to learn patience. You have to learn how to be resilient in the face of change, in the face of disruption, real disruption, real pressure, looking outside a window and seeing your friends being pulled away and abused and murdered. That's top of mind. How do you find a way to smile on that? You have no choice if you're Anne. 
Golden Nugget number three. January 13th, 1943 to July 26th, 1943. Anne is still feeling very harassed by the adults in the secret annex. To her point of view, everything she does causes them to correct her. If she's talking too much, then she's showing off. If she's too quiet, then she's being absolutely ridiculous, and so on and so forth. She just can't win. She and her mother especially have a difficult time getting along. Anne's father, whose nickname is Pim, is expecting an invasion at any time. The others in the group are not so sure. The bombing and anti-aircraft fire have increased to such a level that it is so hard for anyone in the attic to sleep. The building they've been staying in has now been sold. And the new owner wanted a tour of the building. The new owner and his architect had Mr. Kufus show them around the building. And this was lucky because, if you remember, Mr. Kufus is one of the people helping the Franks and the Van Dans. So Mr. Kufus showed the new owner every single room except the attic. He claimed that he didn't have the key with him, so they couldn't open the door. The new owner seemed to accept that explanation as well. Besides the gunfire and a new owner... The group has been dealing with intruders in the building. The burglars are trying to get into the building to take whatever they can find. And the worry, the anxiety they have is that if they somehow discover that the downstairs radio is tuned to an English channel, they may inform the authorities about this discovery. Mrs. Van Dan at first thinks that burglars are in the upper attic, but instead they find the upper attic had been infested with rats. That's where all the noise is coming from. This situation was somewhat taken care of by having the Van Dan cats sleep in the room. But Peter at one point was bitten by a large rat a few days later and it was quite frightening and painful for him. Two new problems are plaguing the families though. The first is the fact that the children are outgrowing their clothes and have no way of getting new clothes. Also, the adults' clothing is becoming quite worn and torn up. The other problem is a lack of fresh food. Miep does try to bring them vegetables when she can, but the whole country is lacking in food at this point. The amount of rations each person is allotted has been cut, so the group must essentially live on beans and partially spoiled potatoes. Rauter, who is German, made a speech on the radio stating that all Jews must exit German-occupied countries by July 1st. This causes a lot of stress and anxiety for Anne she feels the Jews are being treated like unwanted insects by the Germans. The people who have been helping the Franks and Van Dans are unfortunately becoming very ill at this point, which causes a lot of concern and a lot of distress for everybody in the annex. And the reason for that is because they just don't know how they're going to survive. How are they going to get food? How are they going to get supplies to keep them healthy, happy, and safe? Anne's problems with her mother continued and came to a head one night as Anne lay in her bed waiting for her father to come in and say prayers with her. He wasn't able to that night and her mother asked if she might say the prayers with Anne instead. Anne refused her mother's offer. Her mother responded, I don't want to be cross, but love cannot be forced. This made Anne realize that her mother did in fact notice the emotional distance between them. It also had the effect of stimulating Anne's determination to not apologize for her refusal. And in fact, Anne felt that her mother brought this situation on herself by how she treated Anne the past few months. Mr. Vossen, who had helped the group keep in touch with the outside world, has now unfortunately been diagnosed with cancer. This is a stunning blow to Anne and the others. They had to give up the radio that was their only link to what was happening in England. They are trying, through Kufus, to get their hands on a 
another small radio that they can use to keep in touch with the outside world. Anne and Mr. Dussel have an argument about the usage of the desk in their shared bedroom. Anne would like to use the desk twice a week for about an hour and a half each time. He flat out refuses to allow her to do so. He feels that his needs greatly outweigh hers. He tells her he has important work to do, and she is just working at stupid things like studying mythology and knitting. Anne goes to her father, who tells her to talk to Mr. Dussel the next day about the problem. Instead, Anne brings it up again the same night with the same result. Anne's father intervenes, and Dussel eventually gives in to her request. The whole time all these internal squabbles are being played out, the group listens and are encouraged by the news on the radio today. It seems as if the Allies are gaining ground. Mussolini, he's resigned, and there is talk of Turkey joining the Allies. And again, Mussolini was the dictator in Italy at the time, who was a part of the Axis. Now, because of all their time spent together, the group continues to get on each other's nerves. But when the need arises, they all do their best to pull together and put aside their differences, put aside their stresses. They're all hopeful that the war will soon be over, but they're constantly disheartened by what they see outside their window. People being beaten up, killed, tortured. Very sad things to see on a daily basis, yet they remain hopeful in the face of extreme stress. Now that by itself was something that I pondered over and put myself in their shoes and realized how strong they were to at least find a smile, find hope in the face of such unreal situations. Golden Nugget number four, July 29th, 1943 to December 22nd, 1943. Anne decides to give Kitty a detailed description of a typical day in the secret annex. She describes how they go about getting ready for bed. Each of them has to make up their bed to fit their individual needs. She also goes into great detail of how she and others take turns using the bathroom again. She details Mr. Dussel's overuse of the bathroom. He stays in the room for long periods of time, multiple times each day. The group does not seem to be getting along any better, though. It seems as if it's a sport for Mrs. Van Dan to cause friction amongst various members of the group. It's almost as if she receives joy out of causing problems. How many of you know people like that in the workplace? The good news that has come through the radio is the fascist party has been outlawed in Italy, and the army is helping to rid the country of the party. The families hope this news will help turn the tide of the war as well. The air raids, the gunfire, they continue to cause stress for everyone, of course. The gunfire usually happens somewhere between 1 and 4 in the morning, and at that point, Anne then takes her pillow and goes to sleep with her father, puts it over her ears. It makes her feel safer and allows her to sleep if she's with her father during these times. Now, much of this section in her diary is devoted to the mundane tasks taken on by the group. She highlights the need for everyone to pitch in and help prepare potatoes for evening meals. Anne talks about how Mr. Dussel feels that everyone, especially Anne, should peel the potatoes exactly how he does it, because he does it right. This is just another example of how Mr. Dussel feels he is superior to others in the group. <laughs> and again, how many of you know people like this? How many of you work with people like this? How many of you grew up with people like this? These perfectionists where it was their way or the highway, your way is terrible, my way is the best way. 
Learn to do it the way that I do it. Right? We see this all the time. And as I read this to you, I, I when I read this book and I'm doing this summary, I constantly see parallels between my life, certain situations in my life with Anne and the things that were going on in the secret annex. And again, it just gives me a little bit of perspective to put myself in her shoes and then bring myself back to my life, my reality and say, hmm, I'm facing problems, but <laughs> at least I'm not stuck in an attic with a whole bunch of people who are constantly pissing me off. I have to live with them 24 seven with these people. And there's death and destruction happening outside my door. There's stress happening inside here. My life actually isn't that bad because I can escape this. That's only happening at work. Oh, and by the way, if I don't like it at work, I can just get a new job and go work somewhere else. You know, like put into perspective. That's what I'm trying to get out of this. On September 10th, 1943, Anne and the others learned that Italy has surrendered to the Allies. This is cause for rejoicing, not only for those living in the secret annex, but for millions of people around the world. Unfortunately, this great news came with more sad news because there's more illness among those who are helping the families in the secret annex. Mr. Kufis, who had stomach hemorrhaging, now has to have an operation to help his problems. Eli is under a tremendous amount of stress from trying to help the families. The additional work she has at the business and from caring for her father, who has cancer. Miep is trying to help as best she can, but it's very difficult to help all of them. The Van Dans have run out of money and are having to sell their clothes in order to get by. Mr. Van Dan is willing to sell his clothes, but he is asking for more money for them than people have to spend on clothing. Mrs. Van Dan does not want to sell any of her clothes, especially her fur coat. This causes a great deal of arguing amongst the two of them, which in turn causes even more stress for the rest of the group. Finally, Mrs. Van Dan allows her coat to be sold. She thinks the money should be saved to use after the war. But Mr. Van Dan convinces her money is in need now. One evening as Eli is visiting, the families hear a long ringing sound from the door. Anne is absolutely paralyzed with fear from this. She's plagued with nightmares from them being put in dungeons or her being alone on a road lost without her parents. In the end, it turned out to be nothing. At this point also, Anne loses her prized fountain pen, which her grandmother had given her. Anne was so upset by this because she received this pen at the age of nine and she's used it ever since. She's heartbroken to find that it had been accidentally burned in the stove. Despite being so upset by losing her pen, she's still grateful for the safety of the annex and being with her family. That right there is a great lesson for all of us. When things are going wrong around us, when bad things happen, you know my philosophy. I don't have to tell you. I will anyways. It's not a setback. It's a set up. Look for things to be grateful for in your times of stress. I know it's hard. I know you have to force yourself to do that. But do it because it'll make your situation better. As we finish this up, one night as Anne is falling asleep, she pictures her friend Lees. She sees her in rags, thin and worn out. She feels as if her friend is criticizing her for leaving her behind. And she's terrified for her friend and the fate that possibly awaits her. In the end, Anne vows to make it all up to Lees after the war, if Lees survives. The secret annex brings security to the group, but because of the close quarters, it also breeds animosity. The group has a hard time adjusting to each other's quirks and 
things that they would have overlooked in normal situations is only magnified by the stress of war, the stress of self-imposed exile, the fear of what might happen to them if they get captured, and the fear of what's happening right now outside their, their doors and to those that they once loved. Again, this whole story is painting a picture of extreme stress, extreme stress, and them forcing themselves to stay upbeat, them forcing themselves to still stay productive in the face of stress. As I go through this again, it's inspiring to me. And I don't know if it's clicking with you yet. It might not be clicking with you yet. You might not feel it. You might just be listening to me logically, but I want you to feel it. Close your eyes and listen to this. Listen to this in bed. Imagine yourself in that secret annex. Go to Google. Type in Anne Frank's secret annex. Look at what those pictures look like. Imagine yourself sitting in there. Imagine sitting there month after month with people that you don't like, people who are criticizing you. Imagine the stress, the anxiety, the frustration, the fear the feelings of depression that you'll have. Empowering through that. It's incredibly inspiring to listen to what this young girl went through. Her whole family went through. Incredibly inspiring. And I, again, it's just it's all about adding perspective to your life. Golden nugget number five. December 24th, 1943 to February 14th, 1944. I apologize to all the people out there who speak German, but I'm going to butcher this. Himmelhoch Joschend und Zomtod Betrabd, which is a quote from German writer Goethe, meaning on top of the world or in the depths of despair. Now, this phrase sums up Anne's feelings about her time in the secret annex. She's either feeling good about still being free from the German concentration camps or sad at being kept away from all the activities a teenage girl normally participates in. She's jealous of the non-Jews who are allowed to live lives that they have more freedom than she does. She longs to be with her friends and to be able to go outside. They've been in hiding for about a year and a half now. And it's truly taking a toll, not just on Anne, but on everybody in the secret annex. While Anne still feels unloved by her mother, she's trying to understand her mother more. She now understands her mother's reactions to her behavior and She sees that her mother has a great deal of stress on her and has endured situations that Anne has caused to occur between both of them. Anne has resolved to keep most of her anger and feelings about her mother to herself now. She intends to only vent her feelings in her diary and not with her mother. Mostly Anne is upset because she has an ideal image of what a mother should be and her mother does not live up to that image in her head. She wants her mother to show tact when dealing with Anne and to never laugh when Anne cries about what's upsetting her. In other words, she wants a woman who is perfect. And Anne is realizing right now that her mother is not perfect. At this point, Anne is also experiencing the bodily and emotional changes that go along with puberty. She feels as if she has no one with which she can share these feelings of excitement and confusion with. Her sister, Margot, And Anne, they're not close enough friends to share this time in Anne's life. So Anne decides the only person she can talk to is Peter Van Dan. And the reason she feels that is because Peter is a very quiet boy who just likes to sit upstairs and do his puzzles. So she feels comfortable talking to him because he doesn't judge her. 
at this point in the diary, Anne goes into great detail about her feelings with another Peter, Peter Wessel. She had a vivid dream about him. In the dream, Peter tells her, if I had only known, I would have come to you long before. Anne takes this as a sign that Peter is the only boy for her. The two had a childish romance a few years before this. They went around holding hands as youngsters do. He eventually went into high school and she was in elementary school, so they drifted apart. She still feels strongly about him, even though she knows he's probably long forgotten about her. There is also in 1944, in February, talk of the English invading Holland. And everyone is extremely concerned what this might actually mean to the people of Holland. Would the Germans fight to defend their hold on the country, or would they leave? They were hearing rumors that the Germans will flood Holland. And by flood Holland, they actually mean by flooding Holland with water. And this would be disastrous to the people of Holland and have serious consequences. The building that they're in is not structurally sound. And if even three feet of water were to come across the building, it would very likely collapse. They decide the best course of action would be to stay in the building if the invasion occurs. The group also tries to plan a way in which Mr. Kufus and his family could come and stay and live with them in the secret annex as well. Now, at the end of this section in the journal, in February 1944, Anne decides that her and Peter Van Dan's relationship has changed. Peter is looking at her differently now, as if he's taking a new interest in her. He also confides to Anne that he admires the way she is able to speak up and let others know how she feels. Peter is quiet because he has a hard time expressing himself. So Anne is a sort of role model for him. She tells him that her speaking up often causes her to be misunderstood. And she also feels that she talks too much. Golden Nugget number six. February 16th, 1944 to March 20th, 1944. On Margot's birthday, Anne and Peter bond over Margot's presence and selecting the potatoes for Margot's birthday dinner. They are more at ease with each other now and willing to share aspects about their lives both before and during their time in the secret annex. Anne comes to understand Peter's feelings about being Jewish and his need for affection. She also sees how inferior he feels about his abilities, especially when compared to Anne and Margot. Anne is developing deep feelings for Peter. He has given her a purpose for her daily life. Talking with Peter has become central to her happiness. If for some reason she's not able to talk alone with him, she feels quite miserable. Conversely, if she's able to talk with him, all is happy and right in her world. Anne also discovers her key to happiness, besides being with Peter, is nature. She feels the best way to overcome depressing feelings is to bask in the beauty of nature. If a person is able to be outside and take in what God has made, then they would feel as if all was right in the world. As Eli is visiting one night, she expresses how she sometimes feels very discouraged by all that is happening to and around her. Mrs. Frank tells Eli to think of all the other people who are in such serious trouble. As Mrs. Frank says this, Anne pipes up and says that this is terrible advice, and she's told to be quiet as she tries to express her own opinion on the subject. At this point, Anne feels as if she's been subjected to an injustice just because she's young doesn't mean that she can't share her opinion. She refers to all the adults as know-it-alls. In March of 1944, the conditions for the group become a little grimmer. 
the people who had been supplying them with food coupons had been caught. This means the ability to obtain meat, butter, fat, and oils has been cut off. It causes the women to be really creative cooks, which often resulted in very disappointing food. Also to add to their food shortage is the inability for Miep and Mr. Kufis and Eli to go shopping for them. Miep and Mr. Kufis are ill and Eli just doesn't have the time to go shopping. So food is sparse. Now in this section, I find a few things very interesting. Number one, obviously finding purpose in all of this travesty is so critical. Every single one of us needs to find purpose. And as we all create our eight, as you create your eight, one of the first things we do in the module that I share with people to help them create their eight, the very first module is finding purpose. You might think back to Simon Sinek's start with why. What's your purpose? We all know the idea of a purpose, but what is your purpose? Have you thought deeply about that? Have you been given stimulus to figure out what that is? Have you been put under tremendous stress and found a purpose and found yourself lifted out of that stress because you found a purpose? That's why purpose is so important. And I love that in this section of the, the journal Anne talks about finding her purpose. The next one is how Anne battles feelings of depression. This is something that I will be talking about for a long time on the Create Your 8 vlog on YouTube, but the idea that somebody says, I am depressed or I have depression is very possessive. I possess it. This is something I have rather than saying I am feeling depressed. Feelings are more fluid. A feeling can come and go. A feeling can evolve. A feeling can change. Anne recognizes that her feelings of depression can change when she starts to think about nature. And in this book, or sorry, in the, the journal, she writes about this tree that she always looks at. And this is something I thought was very cool. But in the when you go to Amsterdam and you actually go into um, the secret annex and look out the window, you know, you can actually see where that tree is that Anne was looking at. Something very cool about that, something very eerie and very emotional about that. But the importance of nature. And again, there's one more thing here. Well, we kind of look up to to Anne for her resilience, there's a moment here where there is a break in her uh, resilience where Mrs. Frank says to Eli, think of all the other people who are in trouble and all the stuff they're going through. And Anne says, that's terrible advice. I disagree with Anne on that, obviously, because it's great advice. Perspective. Listen, be grateful for what you have. Think about how bad everyone else has it. Yes, do not dwell on that because that will give you feelings of depression feelings of helplessness, feelings of, of sadness, of wanting to help people. That's not the objective. The objective isn't to dwell on it. The objective is to give you some perspective to say, you know what, you're right. I should be grateful for what I have. And that's what I'm trying to do with you with this episode. Golden nugget number seven. March 22nd, 1944 to April 18th, 1944. The good news for the group in the secret annex is that the men who were responsible for their food coupons have been released from jail. This means that to some extent, the food shortage is lessened for them. But of course, all of Europe is suffering from a food shortage at this point, so they'll have to make do with whatever's available. On April 9th, 1944, Easter Sunday, a problem hit home as never before. Peter had heard a loud noise downstairs and went to investigate. What he saw was a plank that was out of the door. He went upstairs to get the rest of the men to help investigate what was going on. They discovered some men sneaking into the building to rob it. Mr. Van Dan shouted that he, was the, uh, that he and the other men were the police. The burglars, frightened, fled, kicking in the board which had been placed to cover the hole. 
As the men tried to replace the plank, a married couple came by and saw what was going on. They mistook the men in the secret annex for the robbers. They went to report the break-in to the police. This caused terror among the people in the secret annex. They all had to be totally quiet as they listened to the police searching the building. The police even went up to the door of the attic, the secret annex, but they saw the door securely locked, so they left it alone. They left the building, but the members of the group did not know if they would be returning soon. So they spent the time from Sunday until Tuesday morning living in fear. None of them could really sleep because they were absolutely certain that the Gestapo at any minute would show up and take them all away. Finally, the decision was made to risk calling Mr. Kufus and tell him their fears and what happened. He sent Miep and Hank to the building to check things over and allow the members of the group downstairs to use the restroom. Until this time, they had been using a makeshift toilet in the annex, which was a garbage can. Hank fixed the hole and went to the police to make an official report. This would allow the police to see the incident as just a routine burglary and not a suspicious incident at all. Because of this occurrence, some members of the group had changed their daily habits. Mr. Dussel now doesn't sit in Mr. Crawler's office in the evenings, and Peter checks the house several times a night just to make sure it's secure. Mr. Crawler and Hank also reprimanded the men for confronting the burglars. They felt that the men's actions were careless, and they put everybody at risk. They reprimanded them that as Jews, they did not have any rights and must accept whatever fate befalls them. At this point, Anne wondered when she and the other people would no longer be seen as just Jews, but rather as people. At the very end here, Anne also decided that she would like to be a journalist. She had a dream. She had a goal that one day she would be a journalist. And she looked forward to that, despite all of the destruction and stress that was happening around her. She wanted to make her mark on the world so she would be remembered long after she was dead. She does not know if she's talented enough to have a career as a journalist, but she still wanted to try. Sit and ponder on that thought for a second. Think about the impact that this little girl had on the world. We're talking about her right now because of her diary entries. There's something incredible about that. Golden Nugget number 8. April 21st, 1944 to June 5th, 1944. Mr. Dussel is upset by the new precautions they must take in order to keep the building secure. In particular, he doesn't like to be told that he's not allowed to go downstairs in the office on Saturdays and Sundays. He does it anyways in defiance of the other's wishes, and as a result, he fights with Mr. Van Dan and Mr. Frank. In the end, Mr. Dussel no longer goes to the office, but he refuses to speak to Mr. Frank and Mr. Van Dan, causing undue drama in the annex. Anne has been doing a great deal of reading to keep herself occupied. Most of it is history, and she loves to use the books to make up family trees of the ruling families in Europe. She's also writing a lot of short stories and has hopes of seeing them being published one day. Again, I respect Anne keeping herself productive in the face of stress. Oftentimes, productivity is one of the best things you can do to keep yourself in a positive state of mind despite stresses going on around you. Anne continues to go up to Peter's room in the evening to see him, and this makes her dad, Mr. Frank, very, very disappointed and a bit angry with her because she is disobeying him because he told her not to do that. Anne decides to write her father a letter explaining that she is independent of her parents. She, therefore, feels that she has the right to do whatever she thinks is best for her. She also tells her father of how she has come to cope with her feelings of misery by herself because neither of her parents wanted to help her. 
Of course, this letter obviously upsets her father, and he confronted her about it. He told her that she had two parents who love her so much and were always there for her. He also expressed to her how much her letter hurt him. He said, I have received many, many letters in my lifetime, but this is certainly the most unpleasant. Anne felt ashamed of herself afterwards and realized she was so self-involved that she did not see the situation as it really was. Her father forgave her and burned the letter. The people of Holland are still waiting for England to invade and save them from the Germans. Anne thinks these people should realize England is trying to save its own land and people. The group has also received word about the spread of anti-Semitic feelings throughout the country. There are groups of people who blame the Jews for giving away secrets to the Germans. These secrets reveal the names of people who are working to help the Jews. These Christians are being sent to concentration camps because of their efforts to help hide the Jews. At this point, they learned the fate of the vegetable man who had hidden two Jews in his house. He was found out and taken away. Anne feels terrible about his fate and that of the Jews in the house as well. But she also wonders how her family and the others in the attic will receive their vegetables. The household will now have to cut back even further on the amount of food they consume. Breakfast has been completely eliminated and lunch will be porridge and bread. For supper, they have fried potatoes and maybe a couple times a week a vegetable or lettuce. Because at this point also it's the start of the warmer weather seasons, the attic is now becoming unbearably hot. And at the same time, they're not allowed to open any windows because this might draw attention to the building. The food is going bad quickly and tempers are increasing along with the temperature. Further circumstances make the living situation even more difficult. Despite this, I find it so inspiring, and I've said this before, that Anne is able to kind of keep herself in in positive spirits, finding a purpose, keeping herself busy by diving into things that she can busy her mind with, things that she enjoys doing, reading about history, talking to certain people, writing. She's following some of the passions. She's looking at that tree, nature, and losing herself in nature. She has ways to cope with the stress around her. How many of you have your own coping mechanisms to help you get over the stresses that are around you? What are your coping mechanisms? Can you list them out for me? On your path to creating your eight, if you're at a three, how do you get yourself to a four? What actions do you take? What coping strategies do you use? Do you eat? Do you drink? Do you do drugs? Do you argue? What do you do? Anne does things that are productive. She has productive coping strategies. This is something that I will continue to educate on as part of the CY8 blog, Create Your 8 vlog, that I will continue to do here, share coping strategies, share mechanisms with you that you can use, that you can put into your own arsenal to help you create your 8. And when I look at my life, my purpose, what I'm doing in relation to what Anne's doing, I see a lot of activities she's doing to help her essentially... (laughs) It sounds kind of funny, but help her create her eight, create just an optimal experience. And I don't mean to trivialize her, her experience. What she went through was devastating. But again, the whole goal of create your eight is to put yourself in the best mental state possible. And she was doing that on a regular basis. So now let's finish up this episode with the final entry in her diary. 
Golden Nugget number nine. June 6th, 1944 to August 1st, 1944. The long-awaited invasion has occurred. It is D-Day, June 6th, 1944. The families are not sure whether or not to believe it. They've been tricked before by reports of trial landings. But they hear on the radio an address by General Eisenhower. He is speaking to the French citizens. He tells them, this is D-Day. Stiff fighting will come now, but after this, the victory. The year 1944 is the year of complete victory. Good luck. This news coming from General Eisenhower convinces them the invasion is in fact real. They're overjoyed. It's almost too much to comprehend for them. The fact that they might in the near future be free again to live their lives as they did before the war fills them with so much joy. Now the weather for the landing was terrible. Rain and gale force winds made the fighting so much more difficult than they had expected. The weather lasted for a few weeks, causing irritable behavior for those in the secret annex, especially for Mrs. Van Dan. Anne celebrated her 15th birthday on June 13, 1944. She received several presents from others in the annex. Around this same time, Anne learns about the courage of Winston Churchill on her birthday. He was on a torpedo boat visiting French villages that had been liberated when the boat he was in shelled the coastline. Anne felt this was a brave action for Churchill and that he appears to be fearless. She would like to emulate this type of behavior. Churchill became almost a role model for her. Again, such an important element in building resilience. She longs to be outside with nature. Anne had not been interested in nature before. She had gone into hiding because she kind of took it for granted. But now it's such a major interest of hers. She recognizes this interest because she has not been allowed to go outside and the entire time she's been living in the secret annex, she's been dreaming of it. It made her realize just how much she took some of the most simplest things for granted. Again, what an important message. We don't know what we have until it starts to go away or until it does disappear or until we may not see it anymore. And finding gratitude in all the small things, whether it's a simple job, a simple hello, your sight, your hearing, your ability to walk, somebody in your life, your ability to taste, the sound of a bird chirping, the smell of grass, the feeling of wind. Sometimes we take the simplest things for granted until we realize we're losing them. And this is where Anne was at. They learn on June 23rd, 1944, the English have started to attack Cherbourg. This means Anne and the others would be free by around October. This brings a sense of hope and anticipation to everyone. The bad news is that the potato supply is dwindling, so they're now forced to count exactly how many potatoes each person is allowed each day, but at the same time, the anticipation of being free is what's fueling them. Again, on the path to creating your eight, the power of anticipation is so important. What do you have to look forward to every day, every week, every month, every year? Having something to look forward to gives you hope, gives you a sense of excitement for the future. At this same time, Anne is starting to tire of Peter's lack of self-confidence. He is constantly telling her how weak he is and how much he wishes he could be like her. She sees that he's using her as a support system when she feels unable to say or do what's necessary. Anne feels that Peter is a person who looks for the easy way to solve a problem or to make money. Her word for this type of thinking is laziness. She feels that a person must work to be happy and to make something of their lives. 
She doesn't understand people who are unwilling to work. Seriously? A 15-year-old girl is coming at you with this kind of insight? Let me read that to you again. Her type of word for this type of thinking is laziness. She feels that a person must work to be happy and to make something of their lives. She doesn't understand people who are unwilling to work. You must work to be happy. And yet so many of us are on autopilot. I respect Anne Frank so much because of this. And that message just, it gets me riled up. It gets me emotional because of how so many of us take our happiness for granted. We just believe that we deserve to be happy. No. Anne Frank, a 15-year-old girl, she knows the path to happiness comes through work. To create your eight, to put yourself in a positive state of mind, you have to work. I understand. You might be feeling depressed. I understand. You might be just sitting in bed, looking at the wall, and just staring at it for what seems like hours and hours on end. I've been there. I know what it's like. But you have to work at getting better. And maybe the first step is just to roll out of bed and brush your teeth, take a shower, get some clothes on. And go for a walk. Something simple like that. But you have to work at it. Every step of the way you have to work to be happy. Because I'm telling you. The default. Going on autopilot. Allowing yourself to feel depressed. Feel anxious. Feel sad. Feel helpless. Feel scared. Unfortunately that seems to be the default. If we don't work for our happiness. The family is given a large amount of strawberries from Mr. B, the chief representative for the business. They use the berries to make juice, jams, and jellies. One day as they were processing the strawberries, the doorbell began to ring. This frightened the group because they had not been keeping quiet while they worked. They thought they were alone in the building and therefore they could be a little bit louder than usual. Peter quickly went downstairs to see who was at the door. The first time it happened... Hank arrived to tell them it was just the mailman at the door. The second time, Peter and Anne listened to the stairs, hearing no movement. Peter yelled out, Eli, as there was no answer. He called her name again, Eli. This time, Mr. Kufus told them to go back upstairs immediately because the accountants were in the building. This was frightening for everyone living in the secret annex. But alas, nothing happened. Anne is happy because she heard that an officer of the German army had made an attempt to kill Hitler. She felt this showed how discouraged the other soldiers were with how Hitler was directing the Germans through the war. She also goes into a long entry about how there are two sides of her personality. The one that everyone sees of the happy, frivolous young girl and the other of the more serious Anne. She's a hard time keeping up the happy side all the time. And then she becomes irritable Anne. She knows there's a balance, and she knows that she can control it. This is where the diary ends. With Anne trying to figure out her place in the family and the world, she's excited at the prospect of leaving the secret annex and living a normal life, finally capturing all the beauty in nature, becoming a writer, being together with her family, doing things that teenage girls do. The others in the group are also looking forward to the end of their confinement and isolation. They're all looking forward to living the rest of their lives without fear. And sadly, we all know that this hope was misplaced. And that all of them, except for Mr. Frank and Frank's dad, die in the concentration camps. And while I don't necessarily need to go into detail on what happened... 
there's different accounts and different opinions in terms of what happened. But for those of you who want to know, you definitely go into more detail and more research on this outside of the book. But essentially, they were tipped off by an informant. And the um, German soldiers came, found out who found out they were there in the secret annex. Some people say it was on purpose. Some people say it was by accident. Um, there's different opinions out there. I don't know which one's true or which one's false. I just don't. All I know is that they were captured. They were all um, sent to concentration camps. And Anne Frank unfortunately died of typhus in the um, Bergen-Belsen concentration camp at just age 15, just weeks before its liberation. So we end this story on a sad note. We, um, For those of you who knew about the story of Anne Frank, yes, we end this story on a sad note. As this beautiful young girl with such a beautiful mind had tragically been killed because of the circumstances of war. And despite its tragedy, what I want for you is to remember Anne Frank as you create your eight. And I don't want to trivialize this by putting in a philosophy that I believe by saying create your eight, but I'm telling you create your eight is my path, the the method that I've come up with, the method I believe is your key to creating your happiness every day. Anne said it, you have to work for your happiness. What do you think I'm out there doing talking about create trade? You have to work for your happiness. All the things that Anne did in this book to create her happiness, I want you to do. And then some. So don't feel sad at the end of the story. Feel proud that you had an opportunity to read this young girl's diary. And keep her story in mind as you create your aid. Keep her story in mind as you go through stressful times. Go on Google. Type in Anne Frank. Look at the picture of that young girl. Make it real. Go and look up the secret annex. Make it real. Feel the feelings that she felt as you listen to this. Think about what you would have felt. The constant stress, the fear, the anxiety. And think about the things that she did to put herself in a positive mental state. That's what I want you to do every single day. Keep Anne Frank top of mind. Use the story of Anne Frank. Use her story. Use the circumstances she went through as perspective to help you bring yourself back up when you're feeling down. I love this story because of its power. It's human. And to think that it's a young girl who's going to teach us all these lessons on how to create our own happiness is so powerful, so incredible. And I'm grateful grateful that our world was blessed with Anne Frank. All right, my friends, that is the diary of a young girl by Anne Frank. That was a powerful episode for me. It was a powerful book. Something again, when you're younger, you don't appreciate it. I almost feel like you shouldn't read this as a kid. Maybe you disagree with me. I didn't appreciate this as a kid. Or maybe I appreciate it and maybe knew about it because I did read it as a kid. I don't know, but I just didn't appreciate it as a kid. But now that I'm older and I reread it, I appreciate this story more and the lessons that are shared through the story. And I just hope that you're all able to take the lessons from this and help apply it to your life, to help you create your aid, to help you build resilience, to help bring you up when you're down, to help you provide perspective. And I encourage you to share this with anybody else that you feel needs to hear this. But on that, my friends, again, if you enjoyed this episode, especially if you're listening on an Apple device, please provide me a ranking and review. It would mean a great deal to me. I read every single one of them. 
doesn't matter if you're from Australia, from Europe, from the United States, from South America, from Canada. doesn't matter where you're from. I read all the reviews. So please, a rating and review would mean a lot to me. Also, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Connect with me on there. Tell me a family of the show. I love hearing from so many of you. A lot of you, you know who you are. You make me laugh on a regular basis, sending me videos, uh, sending me text messages, sending me emails. I, I love every single one of you for doing that. And it, it definitely helps me create my aid every day when I hear or, or when I hear or receive messages from all of you. So thank you so much for all those who reach out to me. Very much appreciate that. Also, last but not least, you know that I am always in support of other initiatives. And right now I'm supporting no-kill animal shelters. I just made a donation to a no-kill animal shelter who has a bunch of um, surgeries they have to give to young puppies and young kittens and uh, some older dogs and some older cats as well. But um, your donation that you made um, in March uh, has been given to these no-kill animal shelters. And I just have to thank so many of you for doing that. Um, from the bottom of my heart, that means so much. And... Um, I'm going to actually take pictures and post it next time just so that all of you can see where your money's going and how it's contributing to helping make um, other people's lives much better. So thank you so much to all of you. And if you wish to donate, then you can go to the CutTheCrapShow.com. At the very top, there's a red button. You can click that red button and you can donate $5 a month to these charities and to these, uh, these initiatives that I'm supporting. But on that note, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. So thank you so much to all of you for tuning in this week and for giving me your attention. You know it means a lot to me. And I'll catch you back here next week. We're going to have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time, bring you some information that can spark change in your life and helping you build mental toughness and resilience. Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everyone. I love you all. dictator of Tomania, the conqueror of Austerlich, the future emperor of the world. Speak. I can't. You must. It's our only hope. I'm sorry. I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful. But we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. 
We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people, and so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines, you are not cattle, you are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate, only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite!